We're going to be uh, starting a series today, uh, Love Is, Love Is Not, and I'm preaching under this title, What Have You Done For Me? If you have your Bible, uh, you can turn with me and put your finger into 1 John chapter 4. Um, 1 John is, is really close to the back of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, the quickest way to find it would be as you're flipping through, if you don't have it on an app or something, but flipping through uh, is if you see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, those are all right there together. Uh, you just kind of stop there or start stopping if you can, if you're quick enough, and go back to the first one. We're going to go to 1st John chapter 4. I'll actually pull some scriptures from 1st John chapter 2 and 1st John chapter 4 if you want to have them both. Uh, you can do that. They will appear on the screen in the New King James Version uh, when I read, but, uh, and I won't get to those scriptures until a little bit later. But love, right? We're kind of in the season of love, a month that is at least dedicated one day to some love. And uh, love is one of those things we, we all want, right? We, we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be turned away. We want to be loved, and a lot of life is in pursuit of finding that love. It's a very basic thing. It's a very natural thing that, that we crave. When you think about culture, our music, stories, traditions, so many things are tied to that one thing of love, and this month we have a holiday that Valentine's Day is coming up, gents. If you don't know it, you better be prepared. Get ready, uh, because it's coming. We dedicate that holiday to our desire for this thing, love. And so we spend a lot of time pursuing love, and sometimes it's you know, trying to get the love or affection of a parent. It's trying to get the love, affection of friends, or uh, some loved one that we respect, or even a spouse, or... Maybe it's not a spouse yet that you hope to be a spouse, uh, but you're desiring that love. And we pursue love, we pursue finding love, and we pray that love finds us. Not only do we desire love, but the desire for most of us is for the love that will last for a lifetime. If we're talking about a marriage relationship, we want that love to last no one goes into marriage thinking, you know, I'll give this two, three years and I'll get divorced. Like that's not, I've been to many weddings, but that's not really been read in any of the pledges that people, we've committed to the next five years to see what happens and then we'll give it up. Rarely do people, rarely, never, hopefully, do people take that approach. So we desire that it will last a lifetime. And, you know, it's interesting, different cultures have developed ways of pursuing love and even ensuring love will last in some ways. In our culture, we have dating processes, right? You go out there in the world and you try and find that person that is a match, perfectly suited for you and you're going to marry them and love them for the rest of your life. In Armenia, it's believed that if you're single and you want to be married, that you should eat a piece of salty bread. Salty bread. 
And the thought is that this salty bread, eating this salty bread, it will force you to have a dream about your future partner because salty bread will make you thirsty. And so in your dream, you'll have this dream of your potential spouse coming to you with a glass of water. And as they extend the glass of water to give you a drink from the salty bread, if the water is clear, it means that you're going to have a healthy, happy marriage. But if the water is murky, well, eat bread the next day and dream again. In our own country, early in colonial America, there was this tradition called bundling. Anybody familiar with bundling? Bundling was this thing where they would take potential, a potential couple and they would let them stay the night in the house together, sharing the same bed, but they were wrapped tightly in sheets, tied up basically. Um, and the goal was for them to have a chaste night together where they could spend those hours talking and get to know one another and know whether they were suitable for one another or not. And it was believed that this practice would possibly set up marriage for a long and stable relationship. Now, we don't do that anymore, at least not the bundling. There are some other practices that probably shouldn't happen. But it's all in the pursuit of finding that stable relationship. The Duar people of China, they developed another way of telling if marriage is going to last. The couple that was betrothed to be married, they would find a chicken and catch that chicken, and then they would dissect it and inspect the liver. And in inspecting the liver, if the liver was healthy, then their marriage was expected to be healthy, and then at that point they could set a date for the marriage. If the liver was unhealthy, the couple had to catch another chicken. Different cultures have their practices. Some may be good, some others probably bad. There are traditions that have developed in our world surrounding love and trying to keep love alive. And here we're getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day just 12 days away. I, I gave you guys a heads up, gentlemen. Uh, but just think about this, 12 days. So if you don't have an idea, you might want to start thinking of an idea. But it's a day of giving affectionate gifts to the person that you love or the person that you want to have this kind of relationship with. Gifts of chocolates, roses, any kind of gift that you can think of. In Japan, they celebrate White Day. And on White Day, if you're a gentleman, you don't want to get a gift because White Day is a day where the women give gifts to the men and if you receive chocolates from a woman on that day, it doesn't mean that she loves you. It means that she is not attracted to you. Talk about an outright rejection. There's other gifts they do give to those that they do have affection for. And then a few months later, the men are expected to return those affection through gifts also. 
Now, a question this morning is this. If there are so many traditions surrounding love in our world, and you may have had traditions in your family surround love, and we spend so much time and energy and money trying to find love or have love and set ourselves up for this stable type of relationship, my question today is this. Why are we so bad at it. Why are we so bad at it? More than half of marriages will end in divorce in our culture. We all know someone who's been divorced or someone we may have experienced divorce ourselves. And I'm not trying to shame or knock anyone who's had a divorce or anything like that, but I am asking us to look at ourselves and ask the question, If we've been in pursuit of love for so long and we've worked so hard and have all of these traditions to establish love on a certain foundation, why is it that we continue to fail at love? Why are we so bad at love? I think the problem begins with us because we have a fundamental flaw in our understanding of what love really is is. All of us probably have some idea or connotation that has been given to us of what love represents, what love feels like, what love should be, but largely that's often based in either emotion, it's that idea of butterflies in my stomach, of a sense that we get when we look at that special someone that we love, It's heart-churning emotion or an attraction, a feeling that we feel towards someone else. The culture of the world makes love a noun instead of what Scripture directs us to believe that it is, a verb. Not a verb associated with sex or sexual desire, but love and sex, you need to understand this, are not the same thing. Love is a very particular And the world is constantly attempting to redefine love. Sadly, it's redefined according to a very lost and sinful people. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us develop our understanding around love out of sin and a sin-driven society. Let me give you some examples the title today of uh, the sermon comes from Janet Zach Jackson's hit song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? And the song focuses on a love interest who is failing to give her the attention she wants. She sings, What Have You Done For Me Lately? I never ask for more than I deserve. You know it's the truth. You seem to think you're God's gift to this earth. I'm telling you no way. You ought to be thankful for the little things, but little things are all you seem to give. You're always putting off what we could do today. Soap opera says you've got one life to live. Who's right? Who's wrong? What have you done for me lately? And the song, I can tell you why it was a hit. It wasn't just because of the catchy tune, the lyrics, and because of the pop that it had to it. The song was a hit because, in a certain way, Janet's perspective on love resonated with everyone who heard it. 
They'd all been in a relationship where someone had not done what they had expected in return. What have you done for me? What are you doing for me? How are you showing me that you love me? The problem with this sentiment is that it's based completely in self. It's all about me. What are you doing for me? I won't love you if you're not doing the things that tell me you love me. What are you doing for me? Another example is in 2018, the actor Channing, Channing Tating and his wife were interviewed for People magazine. They were getting ready to go into a divorce. They made the statement that uh, they fell deeply in love years ago and have enjoyed a magical journey, but... Love is this beautiful adventure. It's taking us on different paths now. And absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another. We still love each other, but we're going two different directions. And the interviewer noted, if nothing has changed, why are they divorcing? And it's surprising that the writer could see what so many people fail to see. You cannot claim to love someone and at the same time decide that you're going to leave them, even when that leaving is mutual. Because the sentiment here in our culture is that it's based on that emotion, that feeling. We were deeply in love, but now we've grown apart. We still love each other, but we're not in the same place we were. We fell in and out of love. And both of these things are flawed. Love is never based in being selfish, and love is never based in having just a feeling, an emotion, a sentiment, an attachment. And so to start out this series, the first thing I want to do is I want us to define what love is. And we have to define what love is by defining what love is not. You see, our heart and the thing that leads us can be very, very deceptive. It can guide us in wrong directions. Many of us can probably admit and think of times where we made a decision based on our heart to come and find out that that decision later caused us a lot of pain and suffering. Why? Because we trusted our emotion and our feeling and our heart to tell us what was right and wrong. And when we made the decision, we suffered consequences. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. You see, love is being defined by the world as feelings, as emotions, as something that comes and goes, something to fall into and out of. But love is not selfish and love is not a feeling. But I'll tell you what is selfish and I'll tell you what is a feeling that comes and goes. Lust. Lust is that thing that comes and goes and it guides our feelings. It deceives us on our desires. The Bible defines both love and lust for us, and we must understand and distinguish between the two and their motivations. Scripture uses two Greek words for lust. The first one is orexis. 
It's only used a few times in Scripture, and it's most often connected to immoral sex. Orexis says the lust that drives people into those immoral activities. The next one is epithemia, and this is the word that's most used, that's used the most often when you're reading in your Bible and you see the word lust pop up. It's usually this word, and it means a craving, a longing, or a desire. Is anybody just, they have something that they just love to eat? You just, if you start thinking about it, you get stirred up a little bit. You'll drive out of the way to go get some. I'm so thrilled that they open a Popeye's chicken in Buford because I love some Popeye's chicken. And I will drive, and I have driven, to go get some Popeye's chicken. Now I don't have to. Not as far, anyway. We all have some things that we desire that, that we enjoy. But you know, I, I, I like Popeye's chicken. But if I went a whole lifetime without eating another bite of Popeye's chicken, I can survive. I can live. Why? Because it's just simply a desire. It, was, it might be something I would long for, I would even crave for, but I can live without it. Love is not depicted that way. Love is something that we must have. It's this basic need in humanity to be loved, to be accepted, to have a place, to know that you won't lose that love. Two terms that are used for love in the New Testament. Phileo, this is where we get the idea of brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Phileo is tenderness, it's kindness, it's to have a personal attachment, to be a friend with someone. And it's almost a conditional relationship to have this attachment. The other term that's used most often is agape, unconditional love that persists regardless of circumstances and regardless of what is happening. In a conversation between uh, Jesus and Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, he says, do you love me? And every time Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Now, if you've ever read that and wondered, why is this exchange going on? I mean, Peter is saying he loves him. How many times has he got to ask him? In asking, Jesus was asking Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Peter's response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I phileo you. I have brotherly love to you. I'm tenderhearted toward you. I have a personal attachment. I have an affection. And Jesus asked him another time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. And then the third time, the Lord comes down to the level where Peter's commitment is at, and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And you see, in the conversation, it takes a totally different context. Whenever you say that, whenever you understand that, the Lord was saying, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me regardless of what's going to happen to you, happen to your loved ones? Do you love me in a way that surpasses the circumstances you find your life 
in. Peter wasn't there yet. He couldn't make that kind of commitment. His commitment was only to have an attachment to the Lord at the time. So whenever we're reading today, I want you to understand that every time we see the word love, the word there is agape, or it's a, an adjustment on the word agapeo, is most often used. 1 John 2 and 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not agapeo. The world are the things in the world, and if anyone loves, if anyone has this unconditional love for the world, the love, the unconditional love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever." He's writing and saying that if you agape the world, if you have the love that you're supposed to have for God, but that love is given to the world, there's something wrong. Because what the world has is not love. What the world has is lust. It has the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The Father is not is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and that lust of the world is passing away also. You see, lust is one of those things, it is fleeting. It's temporary. It's here for a moment. If I'm driving and I see Popeye's chicken sign, and I've got somewhere to be, I can drive on past and keep going. And eventually that desire to stop will leave me, because I'll get it attracted by something else. I'll get sidetracked. It's very temporary. It only lasts so long. In other words, it's exactly what Channing Tatum and his wife said. It was there, and now it's gone away. It comes, and it goes. It passes away. George Barna said, love is not a feeling. It's an act of will. So lust is this fleeting thing that comes and goes But love is an act. It's something that we do, that we commit to. And love as defined by the world is not love at all. It is lust. Selfish motivations disguised as being an emotion or a feeling about someone else. So the question becomes, if if that is what the world has defined as love, is really just lust cloaked in this very clever disguise, to misguide us. What do I need to do and understand to understand what love really is? The answer is redefining love not according to the world, not according to movies and stories and things that have been given to us, but redefining love according to what God's Word says that it is. Later in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us agape one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know, he he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. 
in this love, in this agape, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that means payment, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What is he saying? He's saying God loved us regardless of the circumstances. God loved you regardless of what your life was. He loved you regardless of what kind of mess it looked like. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to pay for every one of the sins that were committed prior. Think about that for a moment. I came thousands of years after that price was paid. But he looked at me and said, yeah, those sins that he's going to commit, that he's not even done yet, I will put the payment up front on those sins. Why? Because I love him. Doesn't mean God looked at you and said, I have affection for them. I love them. I have these butterfly feelings about them when they're going to come or be born. It says, no, he chose to love us regardless of circumstances. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. Why does God love you? It's just because he loves you. It's not because you can define it. It's not because you can understand it. It's because he chooses to love you. It's not circumstantial. It doesn't matter if you reject him. He still loves you. It doesn't matter if you disobey him. He still loves you. It doesn't matter if you neglect him and turn your back on him. He still loves you. Because that kind of love It's not based in reciprocation. It's based in choice. He chooses to love us. But it doesn't stop there. He says we ought to love one another as he loves. We ought to love one another the way that he loves. 1 John 4.13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We know we have him and he has us because he has given us his spirit. And if God is love, the spirit that we receive is based in love. The kind of love I'm talking about is not something the world can give. It is only something that God can give. And it's the only kind of love that takes you to look at a person that you would normally have no affection or tenderness toward, but you look at them and you choose that you're going to love them. And there are times in every relationship when something happens, a circumstance, a situation, something someone does to us, that we have to look and say, it's not because of tenderness. It's not because I have a personal attachment. It's not because I phileo. It's because I agape. I choose. I'm willing myself to love. Verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 
What's he saying? He's saying love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness. God is love. He's given us this spirit, the power of love, perfect love. The world cannot offer this spirit. The world can't offer this love. The world only offers lust. And as he is, so are we to be in this world. So what does love do? Love, perfect love, the love that he offers, casts out all fear. What does that mean? It means that I feel security in the fact that God loves me. I feel secure. It means I I understand that if I do sin, that I can come to him and not run from him. I can come to him and know that he's going to love me anyway, and that's why I can repent. It's why I can come to him and turn away from sin, because he loves me. What is it? It gives you this sense of security that God is going to be there and love you unconditionally. Perfect love casts out fear. Now let me ask you a question. Is it fear, is it love to introduce fear? We're trying to love like God. Why is it that so many times we do the exact opposite thing by introducing fear into our relationships? We introduce rejection, manipulation. We strategize over how to get someone to do what we want them to do based in the very same thing that Janet Jackson talked about. What are you doing for me? That's not love. That's based in lust. Perfect love casts out fear. It dispels fear. It gets rid of fear. But too often we fall into the trap of saying, well, I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm going to leave. I want a divorce. And what we do is we inject fear into something we're trying to keep and save in perfect love. You see, God will not leave us. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to reject us. There should never be a fear that he's going to withdraw from us and no fear because of the security we have in God's love. Neglect him, he still loves you. Reject him, he still loves you. Disobey him, he still loves you. So if you're guilty, we all have been at some point, of acting in a way that introduces fear, you need to stop. You need to think about that in a different light. That if I want to show love, what I have to do is I have to stop trying to manipulate. I have to stop trying to control. And I have to stop injecting fear into the relationship. You want your spouse to love you? Give them security. You want your kids to love you? Give them security. You want your friends to love you? Give them security. That's what God offers. He's offering security in his love. And if we're going to be like him, we have to offer that same thing. So whenever John was talking about love your brother as Christ loved you, he's not talking about just feeling affectionate toward them. He's saying you love them in the way that Christ loved you. You give up anything and everything to make sure that they're okay, that they are secure, that they don't have any fear in your relationship. He goes on, verse 20, I'm getting ready to end. 
If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. He says, this is not optional. This is not a choice. You must do it. This is a commandment. Verse or chapter 5 goes on, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. What commandments? We can think of the Ten Commandments. We can think of multiple commandments. The commandment he's talking about right now is the one he just introduced, that we love one another as Christ loved us. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We love. You see, this is, this is the thing. This is where we get so turned around. Lust is so temporary, and the world focuses and spends all of its time on lust. They base it in emotions, base it in feelings, base it in influence by circumstances. Love is an act of my will. It's a choice. No matter the circumstances, no matter how I feel in the moment, perfect love. Casts out fear. You stand with me. Perfect love casts out fear. What do you want in your marriage? You want love to be in your marriage? Then you got to remove fear. How do you remove fear? By showing that love. See, love is an is an action. It's not a noun. It's not just a state of emotion. It is something I do. Your spouse needs to know you're going to be there. You want love in your family? You want to feel that love, that sense of comfort and connection? you got to remove fear. Your kids need to know you're not leaving. And even when they disappoint by not meeting your mark. I have high expectations for my son in school. And we go at it over school. Sometimes he takes his time getting that lesson done. But I know he can have it done in 10 minutes. And we bang heads about that. But he should never think that I don't love him just because he's dragging his feet. Moving fear. You have to determine, and you have to determine now. I don't care circumstances. I'm going to love them. They're going to neglect me sometimes, but I'm still going to love them. They're going to reject me sometimes, but I'm still going to love them. They'll disobey me sometimes, kids, but I'm still going to love them. The love, the agape that he has for us and has given us in the baptism of his spirit, the same love he expects you and I to give to others. It's not selfish. It's not manipulating. 
It's not conditional. It's not based in circumstances. It's based on being something to give. I have it, so I'm going to give it. You know what society does most of the time is we say love is something you receive. Love is not something to be received. Love is only something to be given. Because I can't control what I receive from anyone else, but I can control what I give to everyone else. Love is something to be given, not received. I wonder if we could pray before the Lord right now. God, I feel your spirit. God, such wisdom in your word, directing our path. God, helping to correct all of the things that the world and that life want to get twisted in our head. Lord, help us to define love according to your word, not according to some concept of the world, not according to sin, not according to misguided ideas. But Lord, help us. Help us, God. Give us the strength and boldness of character to show love, even whenever we don't feel that we should be loving even when the emotion has left us, even when the desire has left us, help us to understand what love is that goes beyond just a sense of feeling, a sense of tenderness, and a sense of our heart being attached with someone else. But help us, Lord, to show the kind of love that you have given. In the name of Jesus Christ. guest here today, we are so glad that you're here. And at the end of this service, I'm ending my message right now. It's our custom in our service to gather together as a church family in the front. And if you're a guest, we, we want you to come be a part of it. You're more than welcome to join us. But at the same time, if you don't feel comfortable, you're welcome to stay right in your seat. But I wonder, as a church family, could we come? We're talking about love. We're going to spend the next two Sundays talking about love. And I know every one of us, we want to have that love that lasts, that goes beyond. I mean, you don't ever see someone sit down and they look over at an elderly couple that have made it a lifetime and they say, oh, that's just gross. They look over and they say, I hope we have that. That's what we all want. We want love that goes beyond the concept of love that we have that the world has given us. We want something that lasts. And so we're going to talk about how to make that love last. We're going to talk about what love is, what love is not. And today, I'm telling you, love is not introducing fear into your relationship. Love is introducing security and being unconditional in how you give it. It's not tying it to circumstances. It's not tying it to how you feel. I love because he loved, because I'm choosing. Amen. Let's pray before the Lord for just a moment. God, I need you today. 
God, I need your direction today. I need you, you to minister unravel to me. With a melody, you surround me.